Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. Hi, everybody. It's either the Sunday night podcast, which you can catch on the Volume YouTube channel, or the Monday morning podcast, either one. This is actually one of my favorite times of the year, because after the NBA championship is rendered, there's the NBA draft, then you have NBA free agency, and then you eventually move into the NFL camps. But it's one of the rare sort of eight-week moments. I think I only have one, maybe two. No, it's probably one. This is it. I get about three weeks after the Super Bowl where I don't have to on a nightly basis sit and watch sports. I get about eight weeks now where I'll watch. I watched the Mets meltdown against the Phillies yesterday. <laughs> a complete meltdown by the Mets bullpen. They don't do anything particularly well. Buck Showalter is apparently now no longer a genius. He's in trouble. But I get about eight weeks where I don't have to, you know, race home at night and sit in front of a TV. So I kind of bounce around and watch a lot of different stuff. Uh, I can watch the United States men's national team against Jamaica. I can watch a baseball game, the Mets bullpen melting down. It's, there's a little bit of a freedom that I can kind of watch what I want to watch. There's not a lot of things that are major topics right now as we await a couple of NBA potential trades to happen. I also like this time of the year because I start reading Phil Steele my college football books, my NFL books, and I get ready for the season. I do have a little bit of a gem um, on the Green Bay Packers. So through through the years, I've had you know multiple people uh, that were on the Packers. I think you know that I know Jeff Saturday well, Mercedes Lewis. I know Aaron Jones. But there's four or five other Packers, uh, some with a team, some not, that I have not brought on my show. But I have an ability to get a hold of them. Uh, through people. And so I had an interesting discussion uh, yesterday, yesterday being Saturday, because I'm taping this on Sunday, with a, I won't tell you if it's a former Packer or a current Packer, but it's somebody on the offensive side of the ball. You know, and I just asked the question, I said, hey, what do you expect from Jordan Love? The organization went heavy uh, into offense this draft. They went and got a couple of tight ends, uh, one I really like, uh, Musgrave out of Oregon State. Uh, and then I think three different wide receivers and a running back. So the organization, which is always really first round once again, was a, a an and an outside linebacker from Iowa. But they really loaded up on young offensive people. And I think when you consider Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs from last year, wide receivers, along with this draft class, you know, the feeling in Green Bay is we're going to grow with Jordan Love here. He's going to have people of his age that he can sort of grow with. The question becomes, how patient will they be? 
So somebody that is um, connected to the Packers, I won't say if they're a current or a former Packer, I asked about Jordan Love. And his takeaway is, in three years, I've yet to see a wow moment. There are no wow moments. So doesn't mean he's a bust. Doesn't mean it won't work. But generally, if you look at the great quarterbacks uh, over the last 25 years, there's a wow somewhere. It's arm. It's movement. Uh, it's pre-snap. Uh, now, some of you would say, did Eli Manning have a lot of wow? Well, <laughs> Eli Manning's two biggest throws in the Super Bowl, Mario Manningham into a small bread box and uh, David Tyree were both wow moments when he escaped pressure. Remember that got free through it downfield. So Eli Manning had plenty of wow throws and wow moments too of note in the Super Bowl. But it was an interesting comment. It wasn't necessarily criticizing him, but he said, you know, I, I don't see the wow stuff. And generally now Brock Purdy may not give you wow stuff. Brock Purdy was the last guy drafted in the seventh round for the 49ers. The Packers moved up for Jordan Love. If you move up for Jordan Love, there's got to be some wow, right? That's what a first-round pick's about. I don't care if it's a rush end, a running back, a wide receiver. The difference between a first and a fifth-round guy is the wow, right? That's, that's why they move up. They do something that's consistently high-end or spectacular. So it was just an interesting comment from that person that hasn't really seen in three years uh, a wow moment. So here's where I'll say about Jordan Love. We really don't know. I have been, like all of you, if you're a Packer fan or not, hearing the comments from Brian Gutenkunst, the GM, um, David Bakhtiari, other teammates. There's been a lot of, be patient, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, that leads me to believe that uh, they're going really, really slow and they have concerns. You know, I, I've said this, when Aaron left, my takeaway was, all right, young quarterback, he's going to work with these young guys. We don't know anything. I also think that if something had been spectacular, the video would get out. And I remember uh, Patrick Mahomes' first year in Kansas City, his first camp. He made uh, many spectacular plays, but there was one play in particular when he threw it sidearm into the end zone, beat coverage, and that video leaked out. And that video leaked out because somebody within the Chiefs wanted that video out. They wanted the fans to understand, this is what we have here. I remember Peter Schrager coming to me, multiple sources. Schrager came to me two or three times and said, they are saying Mahomes is out of this world. So I'm kind of pessimistic on Jordan Love um, with all the cynicism and the questions. If there was a great piece of video, if there was a great moment, we'd see it. You'd hear about it because we all know Aaron leaves Jordan Love's team. There's going to be some backlash. Right. There's going to be some pushback. There's loyalties in that locker room now to Aaron Rodgers. You know, I, I've said this for years. Stuff leaks out when somebody wants it out. Right. When nothing gets out, the organization doesn't want it out. Remember when Tua was getting a lot of pushback? Was it a year or two years ago? And suddenly there was these pieces of video out of the Dolphins camp with perfectly thrown Tua bombs down the field. That got out because somebody wanted it out. Four years ago when the Giants drafted, Dave Gettleman, the GM, drafted Daniel Jones with a number six pick, there was a lot of heat on Gettleman and the Giants. It was a reach then, it's a reach now. 
you started getting in camp these slow motion Daniel Jones video vignettes suddenly being released and leaked out of the Giants camp because Gettleman was getting hammered. The Giants were getting ripped. This is a reach. I swear, I saw six pieces of video. The ball never touched the turf. It never touched the grass. Daniel Jones looked like a combination of Joe Namath and Phil Simms and Eli Manning. It was unbelievable. The best New York quarterbacks ever. That got out because they wanted it out. Tua's video got out because they wanted it out. When Trey Lance was struggling with accuracy in practice, it never got out. And so I don't care if it's a, a grainy piece of film. In three years, nothing. Makes me pretty pessimistic. Good news, it's a wonky division. NFC's never been weaker in the last 20 years that I can remember. Um, I mean, I was looking through some NFL magazines, and nobody knows what to do with the NFC South. Saints, Falcons, Bucks, Charlotte, myself included. Uh, Derek Carr's the best quarterback, and so most of us, when you look at their defensive personnel, the defensive head coach, kind of feel like that they'll just be in a matter of attrition they'll just win more games based on a better quarterback and better defensive personnel but their coach has a 35 percent winning percentage in his second job in the nfl raiders saints so if that's your favorite good luck it's a quarterback coach league this coach wins 35 percent of his games so we'll see but um I'm, I'm just watching all these bat signals the buffalo bills on friday released a bat signal that the owner gave the extension to the GM and head coach and announced it Friday. Why? Because before they get to camp, they want very unhappy wide receiver Stephon Diggs to know this is the GM and more notably, Sean McDermott, the head coach's team. So you're not happy. You're noisy. You're grumbling. Just a heads up. We know you signed a contract recently, but the camp and the team goes through Sean McDermott. There's a reason that extension was signed and it was made public. The bat signals. So watch the signals, the news that gets out, the news you think should get out that doesn't get out. Those will be little tells over the next eight weeks before we head into Labor Day weekend uh, and practice ends, exhibition games are over. Look for the signals. Can't wait. I just love this time of the year. Do you have some home projects you need to get done? Whether you own the house or you rent it in your apartment, your condo, or your townhome. Angie's List is now the Angie app for all your projects at home. Whether you're moving, installing something, or cleaning something, they have a network of pros that you can rely on. They've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. Hundreds of projects, big projects, or smaller, more specific projects. It could be as little as a leaky faucet. They have the projects priced up front. It's fair and it's clear. You'll know the cost before you start. Download the free mobile Angie app today or go to angi.com. Angie, your home for everything home. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. 
Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we got some NBA stuff that's going to probably break this week, and there's little bits and pieces coming out here now. Jason Timpf, our guy at Hoops Tonight, we have had so much fun over the last six, seven weeks of NBA playoffs and drafts. It's been an absolute blast. And for those who didn't know who Jason was before, and if we've possibly introduce Jason to you. I get so much feedback, maybe more positive feedback on Jason than any single person we have at the volume. And uh, the, the the stuff that trickled out today, I think it was Chris Haynes reported that the Suns have decided DeAndre Ayton, we're going to keep him. My takeaway first is that Vogel's always been known. I mean, Vogel made Roy Hibbert into a nuisance against LeBron James. I mean, Roy Hibbert was a 9-10 point a game guy uh, and was a big pain in LeBron's butt for several years for the Pacers. I think Vogel's, oh, you know, he won a championship. Um, I thought Anthony Davis was a dominating defender. He likes size. And so my takeaway is we'll see the best DeAndre Ayton of his career with Vogel. What I do worry about, Jason, this is a player now that will get fewer offensive opportunities, perhaps, and he can kind of disengage when he doesn't get looks. So I do think they're a really good basketball team. If you told me that four best players in every team, you know, Denver and Phoenix are right near the top of the NBA. Are you worried at all if they keep him, though, that you know, he, he, for lack of a better word, he's pouted before if he doesn't get looks. I think in all likelihood, they tried to trade him. I do think his value is extraordinarily low. I mean, centers in general, they're like the running backs of the NBA, as we all know. And in general, you don't want to spend a ton of money on one unless he's a star. And there was, right. you know, obviously some suspicion or expectation that DeAndre Ayton would be that level of player. And it's never really materialized. The tricky thing is, is you absolutely need a center if you're the Suns, yep. for two reasons. One, it's the foundational piece in Vogel's scheme. He loves to run drop coverage, which involves the big back at the rim, and he asks his guards to chase over the top all the time. So foundationally, Vogel needs a center. But the second part of it is you're going to have to go through Denver at some point. And so you absolutely right. have to have somebody that can bang with Jokic. The The tricky part is, is the specific type of production they need out of Ayton for Phoenix is all dirty work. You know, obviously there's some stuff with catching in the role and finishing around the rim and Aiton's great at that, but you can probably find a player who makes like the mid-level exception. Who's about 80% as good at hit as him at that stuff and every bit as good defensively and as a rebounder. And so I'm sure they did look, but I just think it was really difficult for them to find a taker. And, and that's just the reality of Aiton in this predicament. And so that, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. He's going to have to have a good attitude through all of this. And I'm not sure that he's going to, but they have, they'll have the ability to move him down the line if they need to. But 
with how talented Aiton is, it makes sense. And I'm sure Vogel behind the scenes has probably been actively pushing to give Aiton a chance. Yeah, you know, it, it's... Um, you know, I've said before, I think the word star is overrated. Zach Levine's a star. I don't know if he's a winning player. Westbrook's a star. I'm not sure he's a winning player. Same with John Wall. I think the word I always use is impactful. Are you the kind of player that matters in the playoff series? And um, I just think if you take the top four players for Denver, saying it's Jokic, and then it's Murray, and then it's uh, a Gordon, and then it's Porter, that's a really good foursome, all with different skills. There is some duplication with Phoenix. Um, you know, whereas Beal and, and um, Booker, you know, they're scores. They're two guards and scores. Um, and, and very much um, a lot of times it's pull up jump shooters. That's what Kevin Durant is. So I do think there's value in Aiton being a different body type, having some limitations, being able to score low. Could he be impactful in the playoffs? And I would defend him. I mean, I watched him in Arizona. I thought he was going to be a dominant player. He wasn't. But he's almost gotten to a point now where he is so beaten down that it's as if we're not acknowledging 18 and 10. He is a really active big. I mean, he really is. And he's pretty damn good. Six feet in. He's a I mean, you tell me your take. I think he's a pretty good finisher close. Offensively, he's very active. Uh, He does struggle with motor defensively. And the problem with when you are trying to build your defense around a, a center as a foundation, and he doesn't play hard every possession, that's a really right. difficult speed bump to get over. And here's the yeah. thing. Vogel's going to be on him about it nonstop. Um, you mentioned the talent piece. Bradley Beal unquestionably makes them better. You turned Chris Paul and Landry Shamit into Bradley Beal. Of course he's better. But I do believe yeah. in diminishing returns in basketball, especially when you have that type of redundancy. The example I'd give is like, you need a superstar to break down the defense. Then you need quality role players to finish possessions when the ball ends up in their hands after the defense has warped towards the star. So how much of a gap is there between a Bradley Beal and a KCP to start possessions? A massive gap because Bradley Beal is so much more gifted offensively. But if the vast majority of the possessions are going to be initiated by Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, how much of a gap is there in play finishing between a Brad Beal and a KCP? a much smaller gap. And so that doesn't mean it can't work because talent obviously helps. But the only way this is going to work is if all four of those guys, not just Aiton, but all four of those guys really embrace the dirty work. Because what happens on a Denver Nuggets team is Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic take on that initial creation role and KCP works his ass off all the time. And then he'll catch and finish at the end of plays. And so one of those guys is going to have to really lean into being an off-ball threat that really competes defensively. It's going to be Bradley Beal because he's the third best player in that group. But there, you know, someone everyone's been saying, of course the Suns are better. Of course the Suns are better. Yeah, they are. But they have to beat Denver four times out of seven. And the only way they're going to do that is if they can win a freaking fist fight, man. Like a really physical grind-out series. And so I do think this can work, but all three of those guys have to just work their butts off on the details, including Kevin Durant, like who has the capability to be an Anthony Davis-esque defender when he's trying. Okay, so let's pivot to CP3 to the Warriors. So I'd said Friday on the Herd on FS1 that it felt like um, it was the move before a move, is that no GM in the league says, what I want to get is slower and older. (laughs) That (laughs) nobody says that. So, but if you brought in, say, a Brooke Lopez, you could say, listen, our second unit is going to have a different tempo. 
And we will eventually bridge those during the regular season. But as we age, we're not going to be, we're not playing the same style. Because Jordan Poole wanted to play the same style when Steph was on the bench, but they didn't trust him. So it's almost as if they're saying, listen, this is the first of two moves. We're going to go at a veteran big, high IQ, can fundamentally work quickly in our offense, which they were hoping Wiseman could do. But Wiseman played three college games. He's a kid. It's way, it's like asking a kid out of college to go be an executive at Google. You're probably not going to figure it out, right? Like give the kid a break. So Wiseman gets there, plays three college games, goes, and it's 100 miles an hour. Brooke Lopez, really bright guy, been around the league. You bring him in and your second unit is more physical. They play at a slower pace. If you look at who they drafted, it's the next Clay, although not the defender Clay was at Washington State, but it's a a shooter, an athletic shooter. And what they're basically saying is, and that kid will probably play on that second unit, is we're going to have some fundamental differences, first unit to second unit. Now, that's, that's what I'm guessing. You tell me as somebody who played college basketball, is that impossible? Does it work? Because, I mean, Chris Paul is, I think, amenable to some different styles. But he's 38. Okay, he's there is no next gear. This is what he is now. Like if you were to go on seven years ago and say, hey, Chris, we're going to ask you to, you know, play a little faster. This is what he is. He's a walking up the floor guy, right? Um, so so I my take on Chris is that this is the first of two moves. And I think they're going to go get a Brooke Lopez type. Does that make any sense or am I just reaching? So, again, I, I think there's two different angles to look at the Chris Paul trade. Was it the right use of the asset? I don't know, because he was a big salary that you could have brought back multiple players. Like, obviously, it makes them better because you're turning a kid into a grown adult at the guard position. Like, for instance, there was one player in the NBA finals below the age of 25 who played over 100 minutes. It was Michael Porter Jr. He's 24, and he was the one guy who really struggled. Because kids struggle yes. at the later phases of the NBA playoffs. They, now, Jordan Poole actually did play great in last year's postseason, but that's an anomaly. And most of the young guards that play in the postseason look more like what he did this year. So they upgraded him to a sound veteran presence that might not have the highs that Jordan Poole brought, but is going to be much more stable. And if you look at their um, on-off numbers with Steph this year, they were plus 47 in the playoffs with Steph on the floor, minus 49 without Steph on the floor in the postseason. And that's a, that's a Jordan Poole issue, isn't it? it? Yeah, because he's too unstable in that spot. And he's too, and, he, and again, and Chris Paul obviously is slower and older, but Jordan Poole is one of the worst defensive guards in the league this year. Um, in the regular season, the Warriors were plus 268 with Steph on the floor, minus 120 without him. So obviously wow. it's about helping them survive the non-Steph minutes. Here's the thing. The style differences could not be more dramatic. And I found some numbers that are absolutely stunning. And these numbers are per synergy. So the Warriors uh, ran just over 2,200 pick and rolls last year, which amounted to just 24% of their possessions, which was dead last in the league. Chris Paul by himself ran over 1,100 pick and rolls, which was 77% of his possessions, which was number one in the entire league. So you have the guy who runs pick and roll more than anybody in the entire NBA on a per possession basis going to the team that runs it as infrequently as any team in the NBA. So the styles okay. are really, really weird there. But the, the one thing, though, is they do inevitably have to lean more on pick and roll in the postseason. And so uh, the way I look at it is like it's a move for the playoffs because what happened in the Lakers series is AD was shutting all their stuff down on the back line when they were running their motion. 
And so yes. they had to just go to Steph high pick and roll and he got fatigued and he wore down yes. and his jumper started missing. If you could toss some of those possessions to Chris Paul, maybe you lighten his workload and Steph is able to stay at his ceiling longer in the playoffs. So li- listening to you, I think um, you you said it more eloquently. So the first thing they make this Chris Paul move for is to to limit the damage when Steph's not on the floor. So that's they look at analytics like you and I would do and go, we're bad when Steph's on the floor. How do we get less awful? So if you could cut that in half, you win more games. You win more playoff games. You win more road games. The second thing is, I think to your point, you have to run some pick and roll in the playoffs. A Brooke Lopez, a Chris Paul. So why not get a guy who runs it as often and frequently as anybody else? So I do feel like, to your point, what they're saying is, listen, our non-Steph minutes will be significantly better. We won't be a peak and valley team. We'll be a peak plateau, peak plateau team plus. Secondly, let's acknowledge that we probably now at this point have to do some pick and rolls. So why not get a guy who's an is, is as good as anybody that's ever done it or certainly in a small group. So as I, as you explain it, I think to myself, oh, those are wins. I don't know. I don't know if they're title wins, but the non-Steph moments, I mean, those are atrocious. That's the difference between a W and an L in a road game or a playoff game. I mean, that's the difference. Absolutely. It absolutely is. I mean, like a lot of times we try to simplify for the, I don't know, for the theatrics of it all. We try to simplify basketball down to like a matchup of superstars, but it really is a team sport. I mean, Nicole Jokic just won without a backup star because the team is so sound down the roster, right? I mean, here's where I have an issue with it. You need size and athleticism on the front line. You and I agree on that. Um, Because of their cap situation, they don't really have the means with which to sign anybody for anything more than a veteran minimum contract for the rest of the postseason. So, or for the rest of the play, uh, offseason. So, they're not really going to be able to get that guy. So, in my opinion, the best way to have done that would have been to try to use Poole's contract the way the Lakers use Westbrook's contract as a vehicle with which to bring back multiple players. Does that make sense? So, like, obviously, like, yeah. like you don't get D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, and Malik Beasley. Uh, in the off-season market because they just cost too much. But if you have a giant contract and teams are moving these mid-level contracts around, it's a vehicle to bring back multiple players. They used Jordan Poole to bring back one player. So they did address a need. They addressed their high pick-and-roll need that they have in the late postseason, which, by the way, it's just literally the way basketball works. Teams scout too much. So all your sets stop working. They start switching things more frequently. You need guys that can work out a pick and roll and ISO in the playoffs. Chris Paul addresses that. Yeah. Helps you when stuff's off the floor. But it just, it, I think it severely hampered them in their ability to address the front court need, which comes to an interesting follow-up. Like, does this end with Clay Thompson getting traded? Does this end with a different larger salary bringing back a different piece. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but Rashawn Holmes got traded recently. And now all of a sudden, the Sacramento Kings have like $35 million in cap space. You know who they'd love to have? Mr. Draymond Green. Draymond. And, and all it takes is a lackluster. Now, I think Golden State's going to get a deal done. And, and I hope so, because I think the Warriors are more entertaining with Draymond. But like they're, they're going to have to, they may end up having to give up one of their core pieces to address the rest of their needs. Because as you know, as someone who covered the Lakers pretty closely the last couple of years, the whole veteran minimum contract thing is tends to be pretty underwhelming. <laughs> right. So let's, um, I want to talk about the Celtics and Porzingis. So 
I had said this last week. I think it makes them, they tend to get bunched up offensively late in games. And because Marcus Smart was never a true facilitator, they're always good enough on the defensive end. They just get clogged up. And Marcus Smart's a very alpha, very strong personality. Jalen Brown, again, feels like he's more aggressive than Tatum. One of them leaves. So that battle, I don't think will be as bad. Uh, Porzingis is not, he's not a great locker room guy. He's certainly not a leader, right? So now the team feels like it's more Tatum's. And that's not, it's not a knock on Marcus Smart, but he was kind of considered the soul of it. You know, he was going into his 10th year. He was older. He's hyper aggressive. He's uh, at times their best defensive player. So they move off him, which I never had a problem with because he wasn't a true facilitator. Um, Porzingis, not a great pick and roll defender, not a great locker room guy, gets hurt. But I do think when they get clogged up, we're, we're dropping the ball, big fella. Go get a basket. Marcus Smart was really hot and cold. So that part, I think they're better offensively. But I think one of the other moves was, because everybody loved Marcus Smart, it feels like to me one of the moves was to create more clarity personality-wise that, Jason, this is your team. We're getting rid of the decade long. That's what it felt like to me. It's like, we're probably not going to be as good defensively. We'll be better offensively. But there'll be more clarity on whose team it is. Does that sound crazy? No, I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. I, I said this after the, the, the finals, but like one of the biggest lessons I learned this year, do you remember after the Celtics lost last year, we're like, oh, they need another guard. They need another guard. And so they did. And they went and got probably the best yeah. guard you could have gotten last offseason. But then, yeah. but the, the, conundrum, the conundrum is, is it at the end of the game, it's still in Tatum's hands. Like, so the lesson, the big lesson I learned is top end ball handling still matters way more than down yeah. the roster ball handling. And that's how teams like, you know, uh, Denver and Miami win, even though they don't have the level of ball handling down the roster, their best guy is just so damn good that it's hard to out execute him down the stretch of a, a big time playoff game. So like taking Marcus Smart out of the equation, kind of relieving that ball handling log jam um, leans more into Jason Tatum. And, and we said this after the Celtics series, yeah. but I really do think the Celtics best pathway forward to reaching back to contender status is yeah, they got to defend better. They got to re-embrace their defensive identity, but Jason Tatum just has to continue to improve as, as a shot creator. Now, Chris Porzingis is a really interesting player because he almost always picks and pops to the three point line in ball screens, which is actually yeah. super useful in the NBA. That's why Victor Wembanyama is such a, an exciting prospect. When you pick and pop, it pulls the screen defender away from the basket. Uh, like, cause he has to close out to the top of the key, which opens up all kinds of driving lanes. And then when they switch, Kristaps Porzingis has actually turned himself into a very effective post-up player. He was actually one of the top five post-up players in the league this year. He particularly was great at beating switches. So when they would get a smaller defender on him, he's actually deceptively physical for being such a thin guy. He's pretty physical yeah. and he gets a guy pinned on his backside. And while they're trying to reach around, he just quick pivots to the basket and finishes. So he's going to be a guy that can help beat switching teams with by dump because Jason Tatum just abandoned his post game this year for whatever reason. And I, I hope he gets it back, but they really became a very one dimensional team this year. It was a lot of dribble, like 15 dribbles at the top of the key, somebody trying to make a shot. So it gives some more dimension to their offense. But most importantly, it combines Horford and Robert Williams and their strengths into one useful player. So, you know, Robert Williams is this big vertical threat who's a rim protector. Christoph Porzingis can do that, but Robert Williams is very limited offensively. And so Al Horford, they were much better offensively because they could play five out because Horford could shoot. 
it spaced the floor better. Porzingis gives you the best of both worlds and gives you the depth if you run into an NBA final series against Denver to have three bigs to throw at Nicole Jokic. So I actually really liked this deal. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I was talking to a a scout in the NBA who I've known for a while, and I said, what did you make of the draft? And he said, listen, the three best players went in the top three, regardless of order. He said, Scoot, Wemby are going to be sensationally talented. Uh, Miller is a good fit with Charlotte. He's re- he liked him a lot. He's, like, he's really, really good. That's who I would have taken second. Um, the league's getting bigger. But um, the Lakers draft, let's talk about the kid that goes in the first round, Jalen Hood uh, Scafino, who's a one and dunner. So that's a good sign. Average almost 14 a game as a one and dunner in college. Most of your most talented college kids stay for a year. You know, it's a tarmac. College basketball now is a tarmac. <laughs> You're just waiting for the next flight. So he's long. Uh, doesn't have a jump shot yet, but I never worry too much about that. It's the one thing even uh, even decent shooters who become like shooting guards. Nobody Booker wasn't that good of a shooter at, at Kentucky. I'm sorry, folks. He wasn't like Jamal Murray. It develops over time. He's his wingspan's like six ten. He's long, uh, angular, uh, clever. Uh, he'll be a scorer. I looked at him and I I looked at all his highlights and you know whenever a kid goes one and done, the fans are like, ah, he's overrated. He should have stayed in school. My takeaway is if he could become by the end of a season a top seven rotational player with Rui and Austin and AD and LeBron, just rotational. That would feel like an enormous win to me. Is that, is that reasonable? Absolutely. I, the thing, the thing with Jalen is he has a very specific skill set that is impactful with what the Lakers do. So you said he can't shoot. It's absolutely true in catch and shoot situations. He was awful as a catch and shoot player. 
And obviously that's going to hurt him in off-ball situations, which is probably why he won't close games for the Lakers, which is not what they're expecting from a, from a, right. a draft pick. But right. what the Lakers do a ton of, because LeBron James and Anthony Davis have declined so much as, as shot creators, they use him as screeners a ton now. Like you literally saw that in game four against the Warriors. It was Lonnie Walker running pick and rolls with LeBron James as a screener, you know, like that kind of thing. So uh, like Lonnie Walker's probably going to be gone. Um, Dennis Schroeder was not a veteran minimum contract player, so he's probably going to get signed. So you've got Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell, but at this point, you really are most likely going to end up with nobody at that guard slot coming off the bench yet, unless they you know end up hitting a home run in free agency. So Jalen Huchifino, as bad as he is as a as a catch and shoot player, he actually shot forty percent on pull up jump shots this year. Um, so he can hit shots in pick and roll as he gets downhill into that mid range area. He also is limited as a passer to the weak side, like making cross-court passes to shooters, but he's very good at making passes to the rollman. Uh, you guys might know Tr- Trace Jackson Davis, who ended up going to the Warriors at the end of the second round. He was a really good big man that was one of Jalen's teammates, and he was awesome at feeding him and pick and roll constantly in just like little passes over the top and pocket passes. That's a great fit with Anthony Davis and LeBron. So I think the thought process there for the Lakers was, we're looking for a backup guard. And at for as high as he was picked, and with his physical tools, you, you hit the nail on the head. He's like 6'9 wingspan, 6'10 wingspan. Without shoes, yeah. he's like 6'4 and a quarter. So he's like 6'5 and some change. He weighs almost 220 pounds, so he's really big. That means he's going to be yeah. able to you know, defend up a position and things like that. Not a fantastic athlete, but that's yeah. kind of the trade-off there. They're, going for, they're not looking for upside from that pick. They're looking for immediate productivity at the, N- at the NBA level. I will say, though, Colin... I really like the kid they got in the second round, this Max Lewis kid. So he played a Pepperdine, freaky athlete, just a knockdown shooter, just like an absolute knockdown shooter. The player he reminds me the most of, do you remember Trey Murphy from New Orleans, that wing that can just shoot yes. the piss out of the basketball? Like that. that's, that's literally yeah. the kind of upside that I see from Maxwell Lewis. And so between him and Max Christie, the other wing they got last year, who's already bulked up and can shoot really well too. Like the Lakers scouting department might be the best in the league. And they have so many hits between Austin Reeves and Alex Caruso and Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart, you go further back. Like this is what an asset to a front office to where even if you're cap strapped, even if you're struggling, you know, to make the right trades, or you're just getting two or three useful players every couple of seasons that can like Austin Reeves averaged 17 points and five assists and was really efficient in the postseason last year. Like they're getting really useful players out of the draft. So shout out to the Lakers uh, scouting department. I actually I read an article and I, I think it was CBS Sports and I apologize if it's not. And uh, and the writer was saying for all the lamenting about the Lakers, he said. You go six, seven years back, the scouting department's done a really good job for the Lakers, and they deserve they deserve props. And I think I said this to you on one of our earlier podcasts. The game is now so global. Uh, it stretches. I mean, these the NFL, I've, I've been told by an NFL general manager one time that if you just took SEC players, 60%, if you just said, I want to build an NFL team and only draft out of the SEC. He said, as long as you had a quarterback, he said, you'd be viable. He goes, that's how many athletes there are in the SEC. So think about that. The NFL, if you had to start quarterback and you just drafted the SEC, you know, like that's that was your picks. He's like, you could build, he goes, you wouldn't be the best roster. He said, but you could build like a viable roster. 
The NBA now, the map is not only not the South, it's the globe. And they're younger and you have less tape and let fewer games. So it's it. I always defend these NBA GMs. You've got and now you've got kids in Europe playing against older players. So that dynamic, I'm watching tape and I'm like, OK, he's 16 and that guy is 24 and he's going to be an NBA player. And that guy's never going to be. So I, I think I think basketball to scout, we have to be we have there's some whiffs in this sport, but we've got to be realistic here. It's hard. Like it's really like in baseball. I got a jugs gun. I know what you throw. I know what the speed is, right? If you're playing college baseball, it's college player against college player. Um, there's there's obviously uh, Latin America, some international leagues and players. But I, I think basketball, I mean, the, the Lakers have done a very admirable job. It's it's you almost have to bake in some misses. You, you really do have to bake in some misses. I remember years ago when Mike Dunleavy, who's now the GM of the Warriors, I covered him in high school, Jesuit high school in Portland. And I knew his dad. I covered him. He was the Blazers coach. And I asked his dad one time um, uh, when he left early. People thought he was kind of thin. He should have stayed at Duke one more year. And Mike and I had a long talk one time about that. And he said, you know, Colin, it was really about practice. Is that the best players he ever faced were at Duke's practice. He wasn't facing NBA players in games. And it's like, yeah, he's probably leaving a year early, but He'll go up against better players, even if he doesn't play, just at NBA practice. And he said, you do get to a point where you're not leaving just for the money. You're leaving to get better faster. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I guess my point is um, I always kind of defend general managers in the NBA and scouts. It's hard. The other thing is the younger people. I have six kids in my life. The younger your kid, the bigger the leaps they take. Like my son between 14 and 17 is a different person. In the NFL, you get a kid at 23. The gap between 23 and 25 is you're a little more mature. But I grew six inches myself, junior to senior year in high school. So your body's not done. You're emotionally not there. And you're asked as an NBA scout at 17 to grab, put your arms around it and figure out this Rubik's Cube, this jigsaw puzzle of a young man. Boys mature slower than women. We never think about that. So of the two sexes, of the two genders, boys tend to mature much later. So you can draft a player and he goes sideways. He's a kid. He's got money. I, I guess it's a long-winded way of saying the Lakers deserve credit because it is hard to find your Austin Reeves. Undrafted players averaging 17, 18 in the playoffs. That is rare, man. That's needle haystack stuff. I honestly don't know how they do it because there are so many different elements that go into scouting. And like, obviously, I do the best I can it, uh, with my job, like with the tools that I have at my disposal. But demeanor is a huge part of it. Like, are they workers? You know, do they do? Are they a, a competitiveness? I think is one of the most underrated traits in athletes because there are a lot of athletes like the DeAndre Ayton thing. Like, hey, what's what's your goal in the NBA? To get to that second contract. I'd be like, what? Like, I can't even relate to that. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I get it. I understand like you want to provide financial security to your family. I'm not trying to undercut the money side of it. But like, I do think that like freakish competitiveness, like the uh, unrelenting desire to be better than your peers is something that you have to try to identify. Um, obviously, uh, physical tools and the certain limitations that take place there. 
Basketball IQ is a huge one. Like Austin Reeves in particular, a huge reason why he's been so good is he's just really a really smart basketball player. And so like he went to go play with LeBron James in a preseason mini camp and LeBron like right away was like Colin Rob and like sign this dude because like LeBron picked up on, hey, if I have him as the fifth guy on my team, he just kind of makes everything gel and work. But I do I don't envy the job because especially I'm sure it's gotten even more complicated post COVID. But I wonder how difficult it is even to get close to these kids to get to know them and to learn what makes them tick before you make a draft pick. Like I, it, it's a really, really difficult job. And that's why I want to like shout out the Lakers uh, uh, scouting department because they have an incredibly high batting average for what should be a, a, a career with a lot more misses than hits. You know what I mean? Yeah. By the way, one thing you didn't mi- mention is it's the first time you deal with failure. Like it'll be the first time in your career you dominated high school, AAU, college. You're yeah, gonna these fail. Dudes are better than you. People are gonna swat your <laughs> shit, <laughs> right? It's like, how do you deal with failure? Like some guys shrink, some guys battle through it. So, um, all right, finally we'll wrap it up. We talked about this last podcast about the, um, and it's been the emergence over seven to eight years of the European basketball. Um, and Steve Kerr has noted that the AAU um, form of basketball is not necessarily great for character building. Um, Going forward, Adam Silver, I think Adam Silver sensed this when he made the suspension to John Morant. And and I think Adam's really bright. But I think Adam knew it was a moment. He's watching Zion go sideways. He's watching Ja go sideways. And he sees these mature European players. And I think he understands the value of our domestic players on his TV ratings. This is not a knock on Jokic, but nobody in this league outside of Denver watched him for the first two years he was in the league. Nobody's watching these second round guys. Draymond Green was a second rounder, but he was four years at Michigan State. He was a tremendous college player. He may have been a college All-American. He was a great college player. I remember Draymond Green, second round. Like first time I saw him as a pro, I'm like, oh, that's the Spartan. I watched that guy with Tom Izzo. You don't get that with second round international players or Giannis going 10th, 11th, 12th. I, I thought the John Morant suspension was sort of a it was Adam Silver's way of saying, guys, we're unraveling our, our domestic players are unraveling here a bit. We're asking more. They're bigger stars. There's Instagram. It's all. And I think I think he saw it and kind of says, guys, the world's changing really fast. Um, the phones now he had mentioned two years ago, my players are miserable. There was a lot of pushback on Jaws' 25-game suspension. Um, even Jaws' family reported they think he's picking on him. How did it land with you? I mean, it, when Adam made it, did you just see it as right? Um, I saw it as a big picture, a little bit of a, a warning sign to the league. Guys, we got guys unraveling here. We're not going soft on this. That was my take. Yours. Yeah, I think maturity is the big one. And I think it stems from the way the system works. We kind of have a broken system in development right now. And I don't want to blame AAU exclusively because, trust me, there are really bad high school programs and there are really bad college programs too. Like, you'd be surprised. We have this uh, like expectation like, oh, everyone that 
became a college coach is super competent and knows what they're doing. No, no, no. There are plenty of colleges out there that are running <laughs> the exact opposite of a tight ship. Whereas like overseas, it's pretty straightforward. It's like, Oh, you're 16 time for you to start playing with the men. And, and you're, and you're going to be, you're going to behave like a professional. You're going to be in locker rooms with professionals. They're going to teach you. You're going to learn. And, and, you know, I think ironically, he's not even an American, but I guess you can call him North American. Uh, but if I had to pick the North American player that is most capable of, of competing with the Giannis and Embiid and 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 Luca uh, Luca and, and uh, Jokic, it's probably Shea Gilgis Alexander, and he's such a grown up. He's never in the news. He's never doing anything except for kicking people's ass on the basketball court. He's quiet, but he's loud within his locker room and as as a leader. And and I he's just a grown Shea Gilgis Alexander is a grown man already at, at his age. And so I think maturity is the big part of it. And I don't. I don't know what a good answer is. Um, I think Adam Silver, obviously, being more of a disciplinarian, I think helps. Like, I think it's important to kind of send this message because it's not just about hurting the kids in the short term in terms of making them miss games. It's also about teaching a lesson that could help them have a longer NBA career. You know, like to to even some of these some of these uh, uh, women out there that have been taking advantage of players and causing problems like there needs to be education on that front so hey guess what like if she's reaching out to you on instagram she may not have your best interests at heart she may be trying to take advantage of you there's a lot of immaturity in our basketball pipeline so to speak and and i don't i don't really know what the answer is i just as someone who's a fan of american basketball i hope we get it together soon (laughs) okay so it's interesting you bring up shay because what do shay and steph and Giannis and Jokic have in common slow growth, humbled early, injury early, had to put on weight, had to develop. Jaw, Zion, stars day one. I mean, this is this is society. If you give any young person too much early, they get engulfed by it. That Shea, if, if I recall, did Shea come out the same year as Knox at Kentucky? I think so. I get close? the years mixed up, but yeah, he was at Kentucky. Yeah. So Knox got more publicity. Shea was so skinny that I remember Knox was the talk of the two that came out. He didn't develop. He was kind of a low ceiling player, but Shea got a little humbled. He wasn't even the most discussed Kentucky guy. He came in really thin. Um, you know, he got moved from the Clippers. He's filler. Kind He's of filler. They just <laughs> in the Paul George deal, <laughs> <laughs> right? So. What a shock that Steph, early injury, slow growth, Davidson, Shea, filler, Jokic, second round. I, 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 that's why I say I blame the players, but I get it. The slow growth build, slightly humbled, sit on a bench, second round. What a shock. John Zion were superstars. I mean, the day they're drafted, that's all I talked about for two years was these guys. So we can blame Zion and Ja, but I think you could have put a lot of kids in that. It was a lot. And I'm not giving them a pass, but I watch my kids. My wife and I always talk about this. Not too much, too soon. There are steps and appropriate steps. And uh, you know, when you're giving your kids an allowance, what's appropriate for their age? I mean, we have like tiers of what's appropriate. Okay, you're in college now. You get a little bit more. Now you're out of college for a year. Like, you know, you gotta, we'll help you pay your cell phone bill. So, no, Shay's a really great example of it. Shay's a grown up because Shay was humbled and it's a slow growth story. Now, is this his fifth year? He's in been the in the league for a while. I wanna say he's 24. So it's probably his fifth or sixth year, but he's like, he, Colin, 
Mark my words. Next year is the Shea Gilch. Well, he did make first team All NBA, so I should I should I should call it his coming out party. <laughs> made for, but he probably shouldn't have for a team that missed the playoffs. But to, next year is going to be Shea's coming out party. OKC is going to be awesome. They're going to make it to the playoffs. He's his game is constructed to succeed in the playoffs. Shea next year is going to be the year Shea becomes a bona fide, like a legitimate superstar in the league. And by the way, from the money standpoint, like. A number one overall draft pick now makes pretty damn near what LeBron James made with the Heat. Like the way that the money has changed too. Like these guys are immediately coming into great amounts of wealth. Obviously, the sneaker deals are huge with the marketing capability provided by social media. Guys like Zion and Jaw as highlight reels are just so marketable. And I- I'm sure it like, I mean, you you said it yourself, like toss any kid into that situation, they're gonna have some issues. And so maybe that's what it is. Like Joel Embiid coming up as like a late bloomer soccer player kid to Giannis Antetokounmpo, same thing. Like just at this kind of like long, lanky, super raw player. Like they come up in a way that they're humbled along the way. And the reality is, is the LeBron James type, the dude who's the protege from the beginning, the dude who's the uh, legitimate, like uh, all-time prospect from day one. He's the exception. That's super rare. Yes. That's super rare. Like, I mean, even this kid from Duke that Dallas drafted, he was the number one pit or the number one prospect coming out of high school um, before he went to Duke and like barely played 20 minutes a game. Like it's a, it's a completely different uh, level of, of, of process when you are getting humbled, when you run into somebody who's legitimately better than you versus when you're constantly clawing up, you just kind of have a chip on your shoulder in that sense. All right, Jason Timpf, Hoops Tonight. Love doing these. Eventually, we're going to give Jason a day off. We've discussed it as a company. It's coming sometime. He's going to get summer off. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter. Um, He's a great follow. I get so many compliments about your work. It's great seeing you again. Oh, and this has been such a fun couple of months talking basketball with you. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.